and welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast that finished Gundam Build Fighters and decided to reconquer the next real Gundam series. My name is Jeremy. That's no moon. It's a crescent spaceship. I'm Tyler. <laughs> uh, my name is Zach. Today we are watching episode 18 of Reconquista NG, Ride the Crescent Moon. A, it is a wild title. Considering no one calls it a crescent moon, it's the crescent ship. Well, they call it the crescent moon ship. Do they? At least I think so. Definitely translations I have seen. Okay. Call it that. We call it the Kobayashi Maru because that's close enough. Well, isn't that the other ship, though? No, that... I thought that was no, the big festival thing. You're right. The, that is the other one. You're right. And this is the crescent ship. And there's another ship later I almost just spoiled. Because the show doesn't have enough ships or factions. <laughs> I don't... We could use a few more factions. I, I'm not confused yet. I don't understand the Venus Globe faction. Are they near Venus? Do they just call it the Venus Globe? Why are they in space delivering photon batteries? Why are there so many restrictions on photon batteries? Who's the random Captain Kind? Why is he just there all of a sudden with no introduction? I don't know. That's not this episode, I think. I think that's <laughs> no, the next episode. But We are one episode away from when Tomino says they got it together and this show started making sense and coming together. That's episode 19 is when he says that happens. Does he now? <laughs> I mean, I remember you saying that. I'm not sure I necessarily agree. I Yeah, no, I don't think I noticed a market change in the show at any point. <laughs> but that's for next week in any case. Yeah. Yeah, for now, if you're just joining us, or maybe if you haven't recorded an episode in like three weeks for some <laughs> reason, let's remind you what's going on in Reconquista NG. Our characters are the crew of the megafauna. Don't laugh at my joke. It'll make me lose confidence in it. <laughs> I do think the megafauna is probably the weakest uh, ship we've seen so far. It doesn't have a lot in, in the way of, of guns. Design. Oh, I thought those solar sails, which is definitely a type of look. I could see someone liking it more than the Ptolemaeus for those. I mean, uh, definitely. It's got a hodgepodge of dudes on it. It's got Bellary. He's the son of the director of the Capitol Tower, but not really. Secretly, he is the son of some moon king. <laughs> <laughs> and secretly, his sister is Ida, who is also on the ship, and he had a crush on her, so that's kind of fucking him up. The but ship they were notably not raised in the same place, and she was being raised in Ameria by the commander of their armies? Inspector General. Um, Allegedly, the Megafauna is an Amerian ship. Its captain is Amerian, but he's got Alzheimer's, and I'm not sure if he remembers that. <laughs> he's well, Danielle. Um, allegedly, it's a pirate ship. There's also Curbs from the Capitol Guard, same faction Bellary is from, and also Raraya from the Moon, and they just got some Moon Rebels and added them to their mechanic list. Also, Ringo Starr, also from the moon. But from a different faction on the moon. Yes. Yes, a distinct and different faction on the moon. The fleet, the direct fleet. Who else is on this ship? There is Naredo Nug, a student from the Capitol Tower. She's not part of the Capitol Guard, so I think she counts as being uh, from a different faction. Yeah, she's a civilian from Earth. Um, and friends with Bellary. And she used to be Rariah's handler. But then Raya regained her memories and became a person again. Anyway, we care about them because they have all the Gundams. Importantly, the G-Self, the, the Gundam that everybody wants. It's the most Gundam of the Gundams. Everybody has a G-Self-shaped death ray that they need to capture the <laughs> G-Self for in order to plug in so they can profit. Everybody includes Klimnik, a genius from Ameria. Therefore, he is sort of the Megafauna's ally. He captains the Salamandra. Along with, Along uh, with Mick his, Jack. His second in command, Mick Jack. Who and may or may not be his girlfriend? Yeah. It's not 
clear. Definitely his confidant. Also, Mask from the Capitol Army, distinct from the Capitol Guard, but also from the Capitol Territory. He is under the command of Colonel Campa Reseda, who we found out last week is secretly a moon person. Very explicitly not Lewin Lee, Belry's classmate. Also, Co- Colonel Reseda was responsible for sending Belry and Ida off to have foster parents. Yes. He is in charge of the Space Granadon, a ship from Gondwin, a different nation that Ameria Amera is warring with, that they have loaned to the Capital Army. His harem includes Barara and Manny. <laughs> There's that one unnamed uh, Mac Knife pilot. No, he got a name last week. We just have already forgotten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's also the Direct Fleet, a fleet from the moon. By the way, they're at the moon, specifically Toasanga, a space colony orbiting the moon, from which photon batteries, the only source of electricity, are shipped to Earth from Venus Globe via the Kobayashi Maru. After they arrive via the Crescent ship. This is a very, very jacked up supply line. Just saying. Really, the uh, Serena 5 is really just a refueling station, but the ships are so big it just makes sense to just hand them off and have it keep going while you refuel to go back. Last but not, the the Red Fleet, they got Mashner, who's Paramora's rock pie. Her boy toy is rock pie. She sends him out to do stuff. (laughs) He's very ganky about it. Is there anyone I forgot? Probably. Yeah, as I say, Red himself doesn't really do much anymore. He, he showed well, I think up. He was on screen like once, and we haven't seen him since. I suppose there's also the Toasongan government, who are like way more buddy buddy with everybody than the Direct Fleet, and I suppose Gavin's team, who is just security on Toasonga. I yeah, I I interpreted them as working for the government directly, as opposed to the Direct Fleet, which is kind of like a paramilitary force. Yeah, I don't know if they're part of the of the government or if they're just a different branch of the Direct Fleet, but yeah. But I think you're probably right. They, they seem to work in opposition to Rock Pie, who is definitely part of the Direct Fleet. So, yeah. <laughs> But I don't know if they're just a competing ship in the Direct Fleet. That could yeah. also make sense, right? Well, it seemed to imply that they were like home guard. Like they, they weren't part of the Direct Fleet. They were part of like the guys guarding Toasangas. Oh, it's the Capital Guard and the Capital Army all over again. Yeah. Uh, except it's the Moon Guard and the Moon Army. <laughs> Anyway, the Moon Army is keeping everybody on the moon because they want to press their ships into service for their cool moon fleet. But Ida wants to take the megafauna to the Venus globe so she can find out more about photon batteries and the weird restrictions that her dad apparently put on all this. And that's where we are. Um, Yep. I I think that's actually everything, more or less. A lot of stuff happened to get here. It's not really important. I mean, I think the only character... That we didn't go into detail is Danielle, but Jeremy did mention him, so... Yep, he's got Alzheimer's. There's also the Flami. Flami is Mariah's neighbor, who is part of the Resistance. Kind of? She's also... We don't mind that. Uh, yeah, I know, that's next episode. Uh, was... Not enough factions, Tyler. <laughs> Not enough factions. <laughs> she is one of the aforementioned uh, moon people that have joined the uh, Megafauna's mechanical crew. Whose names will not stick in my head. And also, she's a nurse, maybe, or d- does she do that this episode? No, that's Is next that just episode. next episode? Never mind. Forget I said that. So you can watch along, too, <laughs> if you bought a DVD of this. We are watching episode 18, Ride the Crescent Moon. We start out with a long shot of Cyrano 5. It's slightly more cleaned up out here than it was last episode. Oh, yeah. Last week, they were doing trash cleanup competitively. It was Mario Kart. <laughs> so this week, we start on them finishing, trying up some trash. Just enough so that the Crescent ship can fly through it without scuffing itself. You can tell who's a pilot because the people who are pilots have color-coded flight suits. They, they all have is, their own. 
Verizon is yellow, Ida's is pink, and Bellary's is red. We see the Kashiba Mikoshi, which I am just going to call the Kobayashi Maru, because I can remember it. The ship that is responsible for taking photon batteries from Tewasanga to Earth. I guess from Tewasanga to St. Porto, so they can be delivered via elevator to the capital territory, and then distributed to Earth. Yeah, St. Porto is the top of their space elevator. Yes. In case for some reason you haven't been following our coverage of this so far. So Ruraya is pointing out the Kobayashi Maru to... Naredo and the Crescent ship, which is apparently hovering above it. Which is a giant ship. The show doesn't really, until near the end of this episode, do a good job like showing the scale of this thing, uh, but it's huge. And the Kobayashi Maru is of similar scale to the Crescent Moon ship. Although they already said that last week where they were like, wait, that's a ship? I thought it was just part of the colony. So we cut into Gavin giving a impassioned speech to the Zax Corps on his bullhorn. I don't know you had your own core. Can't be my core. He's not nearly angry enough. <laughs> He's pretty angry. You've met me, right? Yeah. He's got your phone voice, too. <laughs> As he throws the phone. I don't throw my phone anymore. It's too expensive. Although Jeremy is not lying when he says this dude has the same uh, answering the phone voice as I do. Do not call me. I sound. I am very angry when I get phone calls. <laughs> so Gavin launches his dude and Mashner's like, Rock Pie, stop the Gavin team or there will be trouble. Because the Gavin team wants to go out and fight. They're not going to use beam rifles because they don't want to damage the Kobayashi Maru or the Crescent ship. But Mashner's like, let's just stop them from fighting altogether. And uh, Rock Pie is <laughs> complaining that why can't I leave yet? In my weird bullhorned mobile suit, my uh, girlfriend just yelled at me. They're still attaching electrodes to whatever the hell it is that he's setting up, though. It is a brand new mobile suit for Rock Pie. We don't have enough of those either. I also, I don't even know what this thing is called. I don't know if they mention it by name ever. I know they do, but I, my, the name in my head is the Getty, which is Rock Pie's last name, not the name of this mobile suit. Rock Pie Getty. The heir to the image's fortune. I was going to say it's a uh, Pagetti. Um, delicious pasta. We also find out that Clem Nick used his status as the president's son to get the salamandra out of port, so Mask is out doing a training exercise to keep it in check. And, uh, that's where we kind of get the confirmation from Colonel Rosita that they want, that, uh, Tosanga wants their ships. And he's like, but if we got the G-Self, we could use it to negotiate instead. So Mashner's ship launches with a rock pie on top of it. That's the Bifron. No, 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 the Bifron is, is Barara's new weird. mobile suit. Yeah, never mind. So Master launches like, we must take the G-Self before the Gavin team takes the G-Self. So again, it's an episode of Wacky Races and the G-Self is the MacGuffin. Yeah, so Rock Pie leaves with his uh, new... It is the Beam Manteau. No, no, no that's, that's the no, that's the weapon. That's its... The Beam Mantle. I think it's the Beam Mantle is actually the, we is the weapon, but yep. it's uh, the subtitles here had Manteau for some reason. It is an improper, it is English. It is technically Manteau, but they are trying to say Mantle. A uh, B-Manteau is an excellent portmanteau. And uh, so Rock Pie wings one of his own guys at 10% output for stupid reasons, and then gets yelled at to, by Mashner about how he's supposed to capture the G-Cell. Yeah, don't wreck it with it. your sweet beam curtain. It's like a shower curtain made of beam. <laughs> <laughs> We kept to the crew of the Megafauna looking at the Kobayashi Maru being like, man, it's like they're trying to intimidate us with this weird big ship. Like, ooh, look how cool our ships are. <laughs> they're, they're forcing us to respect their gaudy designed ships. I actually like the design of the Crescent ship fairly well. Yeah, the Crescent ship is cool. I don't really 
like it. I kind of want to make it in Space Engineers just because it's huge. <laughs> it's honestly mostly because like I'm constant. I'm thinking about it and going, how the hell would you use that thing to fight anybody? It has nowhere for actual heavy guns. Well, it's not a battleship. It is a. It's like you look at a box truck and are like, where would where are the guns supposed to go? Uh, Fast and Furious um, would figure it out. It's a box truck. You can put guns anywhere you want. Um, did I ever tell you guys an extremely embarrassing thing I did? So I, I took Calc 3, um, in high school. How like, embarrassing. Well, yeah, how embarrassing. Um, uh, but our high school didn't offer it, so I took it at ACC. So it was, it was my first college class ever. And they gave me a final project, and they were like, use the Lagrange theorem to find the maximum of something. And I'm like, oh, what's the most efficient, like, form factor for a truck? And me, dumb, smooth brain Tyler, was like, I'm gonna spend a ton of time. So I wrote a 15-page thesis proving that cubes are a better use of volume to surface area ratio than a rectangle, because no one has ever proven that before, ever. I almost ended up proving that a sphere actually would have been a better thing. I'm like, no, a sphere truck would be stupid. Anyway, I wrote a 15-page thesis on cubes better than rectangles. And then my, that's why we have cube trucks today. <laughs> yeah, and, and then my professor was like, you're an idiot. I'm like, yep, I sure am. <laughs> Moral of the story, globes. Excellent space design. So, well, here Curbs and Ringo are ch- talking about, like, how ex- how do you get aboard the Crescent ship? And according to Ringo, if you're not a member of the Hermes Foundation, you can't actually board the Crescent ship. And since I don't think I, this is a proper noun that came up in my explanation, the Hermes Foundation is the group to which Bellary and Ida's parents belonged that were in favor of a monopoly on photon batteries. For some reason. Yeah, they haven't explained why the logic was there yet. But Curbs and Ringo noticed the Gavin team coming for them. I like how Danielle's like, prepare the Rexnow's cannon, our very important thing that the Rexnow has. Well, I think it's a matter of right now the Rexnow isn't carrying its gun, and it's away from the ship, so it's like, okay, get it ready, whereas Ida and Belry are on board the Megafauna, so they can literally just pick up their guns to get ready to go. Uh, anyway, Bellary starts speculating, and Noredo shows up and tells Bell he's working too hard. But Bellary's like, I gotta, Ida has goals, and I need to help her achieve them. And Rurai's like, aw, you're such a cute big brother. You're little such a brother. cute little brother. <laughs> and so this is the line I was referencing where Noredo's like, you're not a genius and you kind of suck. Um. <laughs> you're an anime character, but you are neither a genius or somebody who works really, really hard. So are you really an anime character? <laughs> hey, remember how Bellary was called Great Skipper and a genius at the start of this? <laughs> so is Moreto just busting his balls? Yes. I think actually. Or it's a matter of, you know, Bellary is her friend and you always are going to uh, bust your friend harder than someone you don't know. So, uh, Danielle comes up with a plan of basically going and hiding next to the Crescent ship so people don't shoot at them. Anyway, the Hermes Foundation members on here, the Rebel Faction, is like, hey, if we bring the G-Self onto the Crescent ship, it'll make the Crescent ship better. And why? Ryan and Ryan are like, why? <laughs> and he's like, um, the DM said so. And Flamy's like, yeah, the Rose of Hermes said so. And Narada's like, that's very suspicious. Where are these blueprints? How is everyone getting access to them? That's what everybody wants to know. Also, they're in the po- they're they're in the local library. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Rock Pie yells at Gavin. It's like, hey, if you spread Minovsky particles to try to start a fight, we will stop you by force. If you spread Minovsky particles to start a fight, I will start a fight with you. <laughs> I think he means with, if they try to fight the megafauna. No, I know that's what he actually means. It's just funny. Of if you try to fight somebody, we'll be your opponents. 
kind of deal. So the Megafauna notice that the Gavin team and the Rock Pie team are dancing. Man, Danielle just kind of has the uh, the expression as he's listening to this rival guy talk of, why don't you ever shut up and why are you on my bridge? Uh, speaking of on their bridge, a Mac knife appears and Manny and Mask it out. Somehow. I don't know how they got there without anyone noticing. They were distracted by Gavin and Rock Pie. And they were talking about, hey, what's the space Gromadon doing? So, like, I think somebody noticed and it just, like, took their attention. Anyway, they prepare to repel borders. Ringo tries to stop him with his Morin, but a giant enemy Bifron appears. And just steps on him. Apparently ra- uh, radar, so... I guess Manovsky particles have been spread. <laughs> I and, love Ringo's response. It's like, I did look around when you told me to. I only saw Raraya! <laughs> so Do they Manny... have porn in the future? <laughs> so Manny, uh, Manny's going over to open the door. Porn is dang- dangerous technology. Ah, <laughs> it's, it's banned by the, by by the, the taboo. taboo. Yep. <laughs> that checks out. The Bifron points a gun at the bridge, and there see someone else coming, and Night is like, it's probably Clem Nick. But keep our heading going. Uh, and uh, the, but the G-Self is on the foredeck, so we're fine. And then I, I love how Ida tells Naredo as they're both getting into the elevator, you know, it's going to be dangerous down there. And Naredo's like, yeah, but there's literally someone pointing a gun at the bridge right now, so. I feel safer down there, actually. So Manny makes her way in and opens the hatch for Mask who I guess is incapable of using doors. He's too large to squeeze through them. Because he doesn't run in with a Mac knife. He just jumps in. Well, if I remember right, he's trying to just board the G-Self and run off with it. Yeah. So Naredo goes to intercept Manny, not knowing who it is. And Mask goes straight for the G-Self, not remembering that only some people can pilot it. He tells Bellary to give the G-Self back to Toasanga, and they begin course quarters for combat. And Naredo sees Manny and begins hugging. Also close quarters combat. And uh, Manny retaliates with... But they said if we give them the G-Self, they'll give us all free passage. And I'm like, Manny, are you that naive? Yes, she is, actually, I think. And Mask is like, they'll also resupply the Megafauna and Granadon. Don't you need some cool food and bullets? You didn't <laughs> smuggle any apple crates in here full of beam rifles, did you? <laughs> and he puts Bellary in a headlock before Bellary gets loose and kicks him in that kicks him out of the uh, G-Self. Literally. He's like, hey, me and Ida only. Raya if she's good. Meanwhile, there's a mobile suit battle happening on deck. Well, in Lewin, sorry, Mask tells Manny to go take shelter deeper inside because uh, there is a battle going on outside. And Bellary's like, hey, what are you doing just hanging out on our deck? And hey, of course, it's Klimnik and Mick Jack because who else would be here to start shit? I feel like everybody else has more brains than that. Whereas uh, Mick Jack always seems to be spoiling for some kind of fight with somebody. Yeah. Specifically, Mask calls her the hothead girl. Er, so Klemnik is like, hey, your Bifron looks like it sucks, and it definitely can't do close quarters fighting. I'm going to destroy you. So Barara's like, oh yeah, I have four beam sabers and, then and she- big Zam missile legs. <laughs> Rocket foot. <laughs> <laughs> Nick is like, what? Uh, impossible. How could I, a genius, be hit by a rocket foot? <laughs> so McJack kicks her. I, I love the contact link that Mask uses here by just <laughs> head patting head Barara. Maro- uh, Barara's mobile suit. It's like, hey, conserve our strength. We don't want Toasanga to show up. Well, they're currently on the way, is more of his point. Toasanga's currently coming after them. So there's a temporary truce just because both the genius and Mask are like, oh, we got bigger problems coming. I guess more ceasefire than truce. As Mashner is appear- approaching in her Gnosis, which is the ships the direct fleet have. Well, they explicitly don't want to be fighting with beam rifles out where the Kobayashi Maru can see them. Well, also, if they were to ever scratch 
the ship. Everyone assumes it'll be a grave offense to the Hermes Foundation people. Is the Kobayashi Maru part of the Hermes Foundation also? I'm pretty sure because it's the one that actually takes it to... To Port Songto. Yeah. Master says that it goes as far as disbanding the entire fleet if it happened. So she's concerned about it. Then we don't get an eye catch. The sky is asleep, so I'm asleep. Hello, and thank you for listening to episode 18 of Gundam Reconquista and G with us. Um, what I'm not asleep about is actually this episode. It's pretty exciting. I like this one quite a bit. And the movie, which we're going to cover next week, uh, does a pretty good job covering this. So stay tuned. I like it. Anyway, hey, this is our plug for our Patreon.com slash Last Podcasts, where you can get all of our episodes early. The movie is up over there already. In addition to our spooky November bonus episode, in which we watch the Five Nights at Freddy's movie and give our thoughts on it. Um, We don't actually do like a full recap of the movie, so much as we talk about it and its themes and how well it executes as a movie. Uh, We are a very mixed opinion on that, so I think it makes for some pretty interesting listening. Um, also, we're starting a, an episode-by-episode review of the live-action One Piece. Uh, that's also bonus episodes you can go check out. Uh, Jeremy is doing that with a different co-host every episode, but the very first episode is with me and Zach, uh, just to kind of easy into it. If you are a Gundam listener, which you are, because you're listening to this right now. Okay, that that's all I got. Um... Hey, thanks everyone for joining our Discord and hanging out and chatting. Um, Actually, a special plug there. Jeremy is getting together a One Piece manga reading group where we're going to be doing one volume at a time um, and hopefully be caught up on all of One Piece in two years. So if you want to join our reading group, uh, we're going to be running a kind of like an asynchronous book club over Discord. You can join our Discord and start reading One Piece with us if you've been putting it off forever like I have. Uh, now's a great time to get in on that. Uh, we're going to be starting in a couple weeks, so you got a little bit of time to get on that train. Okay, uh, that is that. Let's get back to writing the Crescent Ship. It's not the Crescent Moon. I don't care what you say, people who actually produce this anime. I'm sorry, we do get an eye catch. <laughs> Gavin Zacks show up, start being territorial, and be like, we can't let, let Earthnoids hang out here having a battle. As everyone's just, like, fighting above the megafauna's deck. And uh, Bellray is like, Naredo, you and Manny go uh, deeper into the megafauna because you don't want to get caught up in this. Bellary's like, I'm going to go pull the dummy meters out in front of the hangar. So that people can't see the fight? Yeah, I don't really understand the purpose of this. I, I... think that's the purpose okay. that they to shield them from view. I mean, I literally can't think of anything else as to why you would do that. But they put them in front of the bridge so Steer can't see. And there is a comedy beat where Giselle's like, oh, we have a monitor somewhere. And she gets out like a little VCR TV 16-inch <laughs> combo and puts it in front of her. Yeah, and she puts it like five feet away. <laughs> Barara and Mick Jack and Mask and Clem Nick have restarted their four-way. I love how Mick Jack is like, I won't ever forgive you for kicking Matt or uh, for... Kicking Clem. And America Barrara was like, if a man gets kicked, it's his own fault. <laughs> I do not understand that, Barrara. Um, thank you, though. Barrara's like, nah, your man sucks. Mask would never get kicked. Despite the many times he's gotten kicked by Bellry. Yeah, so Gisela puts up a tiny monitor so Steer can see. Suddenly, a wild Gavin actually enters the foray. 
And then a wild rock pie also enters the fray. Via Common Rider Kick. <laughs> I, I, I love the fact that he comes in, and at least the way it's translated, rock pie refers to Gavin as a hooligan. A and, master ca- or, and Gavin characters with, I have no time for Mashner's boy toy. Which is pretty good. But th- this has devolved into an all-out brawl. Like, mm-hmm. literally just a brawl. Everybody is punching and kicking everybody else. So the Zacks get to use their cool feet claws. I love how everyone's doing all this combat with their visors up, like... If your cockpit gets even the slightest bit breached, good night, Irene. Yeah. We were talking earlier about how the show hasn't improved that much, and I agree with you in terms of storytelling, but uh, something that we've been sort of commenting on, and I don't think we've brought enough attention to, is how much better the action scenes are. Than yeah, that's Because fair. we've had three or four episodes in a row, and this is another one, where the action's really clear, and like, this is a hectic battle with like six different factions going at it, and like you said, it's a, it's a brawl, it's very confusing, but what's going on in the action moment to moment? is actually quite clear, in contrast to the beginning where they could not do a one-on-one fight in a way that let us well, figure out what was going on. And even spatially here, it feels like I know where everybody is in relation to everybody else, so I can keep track of what's possible for someone to accidentally run into something else. So they've actually kept that very consistent. Although they're kind of just like in a milieu right now. And most of the gags, so to speak, not comedy gags, but yeah. the bits are pretty good. Like, with the... Zach that like climbs on his feet onto a guy, but then he just gets his legs cut off to free him and all this stuff going on. The uh, Rock Pie's mobile suit is apparently Chun-Li because it starts with a, a common Rider kick and then starts doing lightning legs. <laughs> and I think it's also important. Part of why this melee works is there's a clear goal everybody has, which is capture the G-cell. But Except the anybody... Megafauna, which is escape. Also a clear goal. And everybody else is, uh, they have two goals. Capture the G-Self and don't let anybody else capture the G-Self. So rather than attacking the G-Self, they're all attacking each other to prevent each other from grabbing the G-Self. And it's also one of those escort missions where if their tiniest little scratch gets off the Kobayashi Maru, then its mission failed for everybody. <laughs> uh, but Mask does, starts to use missiles to the disgust of Rock Pie. Mostly because I was afraid a straight missile might hit the Kobayashi Maru, I assume. But Mask is like, I had to, to save Barara. Barara is touched by this to the point where she begins to cry. She's also the only one who was using a visor at the time. Yeah, she actually had to put up her visor to wipe her eyes. Literally the only person who cares about being spaced. Such a... The, the, the shot is very funny of Steer, like, peering over the steering wheel at this dinky little monitor. So Flami starts backseat driving. Yeah, because Gisela gives apparently the wrong coordinates, and everyone just trusts Flammy instead. Well, I think it's because they're trying to get to the same place. Flammy just used a different, um... She has moon logic. Yes. <laughs> I do love this shot of Ida, Bellary, and Raya hiding behind the little asteroid, like, peeking out like it's a trench. The, yeah, the false asteroid <laughs> that they're all behind. As they are trying to get behind the Crescent ship, the goal being basically, I don't know, maybe we could like get on it and it'll take us to the Venus globe. And Bellary is like, ah, oh, they're after me. So if I leave, they'll stop targeting the megafauna. And then he's just like, yoink, I'm taking one of these. Di- I'm, I'm taking this netted dude with me. Mask kills one of Gavin's wingmen and Master shows up in her ship and starts blasting. So anyway, I started. <laughs> anyway, Master started blasting and her captain is like, are you trying to get me executed? And she's like, uh, they're not going to stop. So we're going to use the logic of they did it first. 
apparently there was a Morin in the net that Bellary grabbed, and I do love this shot of it not cutting itself free, but cutting itself just free enough that he can launch his escape pod is actually a very cool shot, I think. <laughs> so anyway, there's this amazing scene of everyone stating their reasons why the G-Self should surrender to them. Mass being like, Colonel Kampa needs to analyze it. Gavin being like, we need it for Toasaga. And Klimnik being like, it will be a useful hostage, so lend it to me, a genius <laughs> Klimnik. <laughs> I love Klimnik so Klimnik's much. <laughs> and he doesn't mean to be, which is why he's hilarious. Yeah. And Bellary is like, fucking hell, you guys are all here to fight over it. So I'm going to use this motherfucker I picked up to use as a shield. They all begin fighting each other, but Rock Pie has the newest, coolest toy, and he activates his beam mantle, which is just a common rider cape. That uh, basically is a big old shield. Slide, that you can use to ram things, too. It's just a bunch of energy. Bellary defeats Gavin. Uh, but then gets caught up inside of Rock Pie's mantle. Uh, I kind of like how his mobile just has a bunch of guns on the front, so Bellary has to go full Jedi and just start spinning his beam sabers to block them. As he's caught in the beam mantle, so he can't dodge away. I mean, we and have... it's just ripped apart by these close, or under threat of being ripped apart by these close range beams. We have seen him do that before. Yeah, and uh, Mashner was like, "No, Rock Pie, stop!" And uh, her gunfire is actually hitting the beam mantle and nearly hitting the Kobayashi Mar- or the the Crescent ship. With the megafauna begins shooting in the rear, and everyone's like, "Why is it idling?" Just in the general direction of Venus Globe. I love how, like, everybody, all the mobile speed pilots are talking about it. And we see Raya standing next to Ida and, like, <laughs> raises her mobile suit's hands like she's going to try and cast a spell. <laughs> <laughs> I took class levels in Wizard. We'll see if that gets through Brock Pice Beam Curtain. <laughs> so the entire uh, mobile suit forces of the Megafauna start opening fire on the Beam Curtain, but unfortunately, they can't get through. Including the Arcane's giant anti-ship rifle. We also saw it take one of the battleships of Mashner's blows from behind, so. But Bellary is like, ah, I also have bullshit, though. I remember I have this magic shield I've used, like, once. So he presses the magic shield button. There's an image of one of the Tosangan mobile suits standing on Mashner's ship (laughs) and being like, no, we can't go any closer, we'll be cursed. And the Mashner's like, maximum speed, and then... She starts harassing the captain with her hoop earrings. (laughs) It's really funny. Because she has to save her boy toy. It is the, he is piloting the guy trash. Yep, it sure. <laughs> you sure are, Rock Pie. Uh. Anyway, the present ship starts glowing and saying Ray Hunting, which gives Bellary the shouted moment he needs to get his beam saber in close and disarm the guy trash. Sending it flying, looks like guy trash is blasting off again. <laughs> it bounces off one of the dummy meteors right next to Raria and Ida. And they're like, okay, time to get rid of these meteors so that we can reduce the mass of our ship and hopefully not ram into the Crescent ship, which creates the greatest English of all time thus far (laughs) from Steer going, oh my, (laughs) Sukkord! It's amazing because they're about to ram the Crescent ship and they have to narrowly drive in between pieces of it. Uh, So mobile suits get out on the wings and like guide it off. Specifically, it's Roraya and Ida. They're like bending the wing and like pushing off the sides of the crescent ship. They're, they're acting as bumpers, but they manage to get through and get right into like the center of the crescent. I, I love. Uh, we cut back to Steerer, who's like dying of the anxiety. <laughs> it's and great. I assume this is the shot you mean about its scale, where we see like the crescent ship basically has two crescents out front at ninety degrees from each other, so it's kind of a globe. And the megafauna is in the center of it, and there is a ton of space on any side of it. Yeah, and this is the first time I think we've seen, like, how big this thing is. 
Rock Pie returns to his boy toy owner. There's got to be a better word for that. I don't have <laughs> His mommy. Yeah, okay. You're right. And it's like, I tried the hardest I could. As he's standing on the other guy's mobile suit. Oh, but the master ship runs into one of the asteroids and one of the pilots in the mobile suit tries to cut it down. But that just causes it to balloon over the ship. Uh, anyway, Bellary gets a new mission objective and his <laughs> rumble pack starts rumbling, telling him there's a secret if he keeps going that way. He's like, oh, I guess this is what Luroka, whose name Jeremy will definitely remember next week, was talking about when he was like, ooh, Rose of Hermes, make Crescent ship better or something. And so Barry's like, I'm going to go through this random ass door here. That happens to be mobile sh- suit sized. He also mentions that no one has ever confirmed the Rose of Hermes blueprints actually exist, which make them even more confusing. Considering they've built a bunch of stuff with them, theoretically. Supposedly. Anyway, the Crescent ship has a giant mobile suit sized door. It's it's not mobile suit sized. It's bigger than mobile suit sized. Well, it's taller. Armor sized. Yeah. So it's taller, but it's not wider. So where he goes into a weirdly empty space. Yeah, uh, and finds the pattern of his uh, necklace. It's very Breath of the Wild slash Tears of the Kingdom temple old tech vibes. So he hops out, floats down, and sticks his necklace into it. Which is the, like, bird icon thing, which is also on the door. Anyway, uh, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You turned on the power to the Crescent ship. So he t- it took his credit card. <laughs> yeah, he-, he bought the Crescent ship DLC, and now he's allowed to use it. And it uh, declares that it's starting up ordinary operation. Bellary's like, how are they piloting it before now? And then Ida shows up and is like, man, what a weird Zelda temple for mobile suits they have here. I guess it's the main engine room. And Bellary's like, huh? And he's like, anyway, I put, see that hole shaped like our metals? I put my metal in it and I guess it worked. And she's like, ah, good job figuring that out. And he's like, well, it was the, I I just said press A to insert metal when I walked up to it, so... (laughs) This is probably our mom and dad's fault somehow. And also thanks to the G-Self. Which is all scuffed up. You know, the way they have that shot looking at it, I was kind of expecting them to shoot to the mega- or to the G-Self and having it give- being giving them the side eye. Oh, I was thinking about it go- like turning over and giving them a big wink. <laughs> but... Anyway, Ida's on the radio with the captain of the Crescent ship. He's like, hey, thanks for turning on our ship. The Higgs Root Capsule. He's like, yeah, normally we have to wait like three days to charge up energy, but now we can just go. Weird. How does that work? Presumably because the uh, they don't actually have the generators weren't turned on. Yep. So they were running on photon batteries as well, and they had to like charge them. Okay. Uh, I do love this shot of the megafauna just kind of like sitting on a piece of the crescent ship. And the megafauna has adopted Manny. Well, they can't send her back. <laughs> One Manny yet. So the Crescent ship takes off with the megafauna with the Manny. And that's the <laughs> end of the episode. What's that one song that's like, the, there's a lump on a log in the middle of a bog, um, a mighty fine bog. Are you familiar with this? It sounds vaguely I familiar, think I've but heard that it's the one that like, it starts very zoomed in and then it zooms like all the way out. But you repeat the each, entire thing every yeah, time. Each verse repeats. Yeah. It's a Manny on a megafauna on a Crescent ship. <laughs> I like the episode. A lot of the action is more clear. We're going to do the third movie next week, and I think I like the version in the movie a little bit more, but it's all about pacing. They don't really change anything. I may be saying this too early, but I think the movie does a really good job of making that feel like an important climax, whereas this, it kind of feels like just another action scene after we've had so many. Last week was at least a little bit slower of an episode, but like I said, we've had so many action scenes, I really wanted to take back and point out how much they've improved. 
because they kind of just end up blurring together, even though they're pretty good. Yeah, and I think that's actually, we've talked about it a couple times. I think that's a big problem with the show is that the action just is nonstop. And it's not like... It's not that it's nonstop. It's that it basically has, throughout the entire series, followed a formula. Like, first part, we do a little bit of talking, and then, oh no, crisis, something blows up. The DM has decided his players are bored, blow something up. And then we have a fight. That's a fair point. It may be more that it's, like, monotonous. So do you have a high point, Tyler? Huh. What is my high point? Come back to me. I actually have, like, three or four, so... Zach? You know, I think I might go ahead and give my high point to the sequence with the monitor with for Steer. It was really funny. <laughs> because it is very funny. And then, like, they make, to make the joke good again when they cut off the asteroids and she sees the giant ship in front of them. Yes. And uh, it's also just one of those things where it is meant as kind of a funny to break up the action sequence. And I think it does that very well. I really like a lot of the action. I'm trying to think if there's something specific. Like, I just like the way they block all these different factions getting in a fight over the G-Cell. And like I said, you can pretty well tell who's who and what their goals are. I do think if maybe you're not doing an episode-by-episode podcast about this, you can get confused about why Gavin and Rockpie aren't on the same side. But as long as you know going in who everyone is and what they want, their actions make sense and are pretty clear. Yeah, well, the fact that there are, like, as we make fun of in the recap of this, or for the episodes, there are, like, eight factions at play, and those are just the important ones. Yeah. Did you come up with something, Tyler? Um, I did. I think it's actually going to be the same between uh, Barara and Mick Jack uh, <laughs> about uh, Klimnik getting kicked. A real man wouldn't get kicked. <laughs> I think what she says is uh, if a man gets kicked, it's, it's his, his own fault. It's his fault, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Mick Jack being like, I'll never forgive you for kicking Klim. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Also, the fact that she rocket kicked him in the first place, also hilarious. Do you have a low point? I think it's going to be just how, like, randomly overpowered Rock Pie's beam mantle is. Like, it's, where did this technology come from? Why hasn't it been deployed before? Like, why is it invincible to ship fire? Zach? I think my low point might actually be just the, you know, the the randomness of the lifting of the restrictions on shooting. Because they're just like, we can't shoot because then bad things will go down. And then they're just like, you know what? Nah, that doesn't matter. I actually think they do an okay job of that. It feels like a slow escalation. It feels like people start getting desperate, and then so other people respond desperately. That That's actually, I think that's highlighted by Mashner being like, do you think they're just going to stop if we ask them to? Oh, no, it, it read fine to me. I missed this scene in my first watch, and I think it improves it, but my low point is, oh yeah, if the G-Self gets in contact with the Crescent ship, it'll get faster. Why? Reasons? <laughs> Rose of Hermes. And that's not actually what happened, kind of. It is kind of also what happened. We'll find out next episode. I don't know. They just kind of hand wave it away, so. Do you have an MVP, Tyler? You know, lots of stuff happens this episode, and I, I don't think it's Belry, despite the end of the like, episode focusing on I feel like you can almost him. give it to anyone. Like, this is a real ensemble piece. I feel like just about everybody gets a moment. Yeah. Maybe Curbs doesn't, but. Uh, just because I don't think he's ever going to have a chance again, um, I think I'm actually going to give it to Rock Pie for just being the nuisance on the field that everyone has to deal with. I feel like he's the closest to accomplishing his goal, right? He yeah. stops Gavin from doing it. He gets very close to grabbing the G-Self. Like, he accomplishes nearly everything he did he wanted to. And it's not like incompetence stopped him from getting the G-Self. It was random G-Self uh, bullshit magic that stopped him. <laughs> Zach? I think mine actually might be Mask. 
because, you know, he nearly, he got on board the megafauna for one thing. That's a cool different sort of action scene, right? Like, we've weirdly seen Bellary and Mask in close quarters combat before, but, like, this feels different and is a different plan, even though his plan would not have worked because the G-Self just wouldn't have moved if he grabbed it. I was tempted to give it to Rock Pie as well, but like I said, I think this is a real ensemble piece, so I think we should all give it to someone different. So I think I'm going to go for Barara for her rocket kick and like her like emotional reaction to Mask, her banter with Mick Jack. Mostly I have found Barara amusing but annoying, but I actually liked her this episode, so. All right, shall we add some mobile suits to our list? I'm pretty sure this is the last showcase of both the Bifron and the Mac Knife. I think we might see a little bit more of both of those, but I think this is pretty much the last time main characters are piloting and, and we care about them. Which one do we want to start with? I vote the Mac Knife mostly because it is I, I have strong feelings about the Mac Knife. So clearly the Mac Knife is descended from the Elf Bull. How do we think it compares to that? I think favorably. I don't. I I really do not like the design of the Mac Knife. It is a distinctive design. I just think it is a shitty design. I don't like the Elf Bull's design for similar reasons. Um, uh, I feel like I like the Mac Knife more, especially with how we've talked about the way it moves as it goes on. Yeah, so I, I do actually agree with you, Zach. I think the Mac Knife is kind of a shitty design, but I love the way it's animated and like this... The stupid, like, swinging its legs around and, like, firing missiles as the legs swing into position. Okay, so another transforming mobile suit that is weirdly designed. How do we think it compares to the Aegis Gundam, which transforms into a laser crab? (laughs) (laughs) I prefer the Aegis. Um, I think I also prefer the Aegis. I I think the Mac Knife gets a lot of points for me for, uh, like, the Exia just being extremely well animated. Uh, Technically, this transforms. How do we think it compares to the Armor Zagan? Huh. That's the one Mick Jack shows up in that's a big mobile That she armor. has to change out the cards okay. on. Yeah, I got you. I think I prefer the Mac Knife, but mostly just because I'm not a huge fan of mobile armors in general, uh, despite my love of all the crab things. But I, I could probably be convinced if we have a compelling argument. I think I'm going to go with the Armor Zagan because, number one, it's got a lot of guns. I'm always there for that. It does have but more DACA. I really DACA. like the fact that it has like a firing deck. For a mobile suit to stand on. That's a good point, actually. So you can have, like, combined arms. I don't know. Where, where are you landing I right now? I do not want to have to pick. I really okay. am torn on this. Um, I, I think I'm leaning slightly towards the Mac Knife, but I think Zach makes a good argument. Um, I think I agree. I forgot about the firing deck, so I, I think I'm going to revise my opinion to the Armor Zagan. How do we think it compares to the Capital Army's more plain mobile suit, the Wuxia? I actually like the Wuxia more. Like, like, just in terms of overall design, I think the Wuxia is the better ship. I think I agree. How do we think it compares to Toasonga's Elmorin? I like it better than the Elmorin, actually. Uh, the Elmorin's more of a classic, like, kind of grunt suit design for Gundam, but uh, the Mac Knife is just so weird. <laughs> I think I prefer the Mac Knife as well, in large part, because the Elmorin has the problem of I legitimately am having a trouble sorting it from the Morin. How do we think it compares to the Gaia Gundam, which also transforms? That Ga- Gaia all the way for me. Gaia transformation yeah. is better. So the Mac Knife goes at number 75, above the Elmoran and below the Gaia Gundam. All right. So the, man, I want to call it the Shiva, which is the Bifrin, the Bifron, <laughs> which has rocket kick and forearms going for it. I'm not sure where to start. I feel like it is more similar to a mobile armor than a mobile suit. Yeah. I Like, not as good as the Armor Zagan, right? No. It is pink, which helps. It, Where's the Regnant in relation to the Armor Zagan? Well below. How do we think it compares to the Regnant, since you brought it up? I personally prefer the Regnant. Really? Um, 
Yeah, like, I don't love the Regnet, but, like, it's bear hug attack, I do think, like, is a thing I'm going to remember more than anything that Bifron ever does. Yeah. Um, I mean, oh, no, the Bifron's got, like, spinning arms, which doesn't seem terribly practical, and rotatable boosters, which actually does seem pretty practical. I think I prefer the Bifron just slightly. I think I prefer the Regnet, and you said the same, Zach? Yep. Okay, are there any mobile armors below that? Surely... How do you think it compares to the Exus, which is like the Mobius Zero, but shiny? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's better than that. Yeah. Uh, how do we think it compares to the Gun Archer, which I guess is sort of mobile armor-ish? That is the mobile suit that Soma Pierce gets that combines with her boyfriend's Gundam sometimes. Yeah, I, I remember this one. I don't think I like the Bifron as much as the GN Archer, but... Man, is that not a strong sentiment. No. Um, I do like the color scheme on the Gun Archer better. It's got that, like, red and white, It's right? got, like, a gym color scheme. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I go with the Gun Archer. All right. How do we think it compares to the Legend Gundam? Huh. Ray Zabarel's Funnel Machine. I think I prefer the Legend of the Bifron, though. Like, it, it's at least interesting. I guess the Bifron is interesting, but I have, I there are much larger air quotes around that. I think I prefer the Bifron to the Legend. That weird, like, big starfish backpack thing that the Legend has, I do not like. I think it screws up the silhouette too much. I think the Bifron's face just isn't very good, and that puts it below the Legend for me. It's real close. How do we think it compares to the Chaos Gundam, which a druggie stole? A druggie stole at one time. I prefer the Chaos, honestly. I think here's where the line is for me. I think I like the Bifron a little bit more with its four arms and like the rotating beam saber thing it's got going on and rocket kicks. I think I agree with Jeremy. So the Bifron goes at number 102 above the Chaos Gundam and below the Legend Gundam. Not a terrible showing, actually. All right, that'll do it for this episode. We will be back next week with the third Rikongista in G movie, Legacy from Space. (laughs) (laughs) What a title. Go brag to everyone once you've heard it, especially iTunes five stars. <laughs> <laughs>